Today we are finishing our teaching series going through the book of James. We've been going through this uh, all summer. This has been a series where as we've talked about, if you're here at the beginning, we said we were going to have to learn to ride bicycles backwards. Uh, It's going to be a a time when we were going to be challenged by James on how we live on what our faith looks like, what it means to live faithfully. And if you've paid attention, if you've been here, uh, which because of travel schedules and it's 100 and whatever degrees every day, many of you have not, but it is a challenging book, okay? It's a challenging book. It has challenged me in a lot of ways. It's been one of those books that I keep thinking, who decided to do this? Uh, And I can only blame myself for this. It's like, that's right, this is good, this is good. And so we're going to end this series today kind of like the whole series has been because James ends the book like he writes it, right? If you read a book in the New Testament, a lot of these letters that were written like Philippians or Colossians, Paul writes a lot of them and he's a very, he's, he's well-educated, he's a very kind of poetic writer and he ends his letters in kind of this wonderful flowery way. And by flowery, I don't mean insignificant, but it's kind of like, uh, it's just, it's how you and I would probably finish a letter. He gives greetings to different people. He's kind of charming. He, you know, he does all this different stuff. And so when you stop a series, you can kind of use that last Sunday to reflect back on what you've learned. James does not end that way. Faithful to how he writes, he teaches to the last word. And so we're going to end the series that way, not by looking backwards, but by being faithful to the scripture passage in front of us today. Okay, so here it is. The, the final passage that we'll look at in James. James 5, verses 13 through 20. This is what he says. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the, earthly, and the earth yielded its harvest. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these words of Scripture, and we ask that you would open all of our minds and our hearts, all of us today, to receive what it is you would have to say and to fashion us into the men and women that you created us to be. We pray for this and trust in this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so James in this passage is talking about prayer. And most churches would say this, and most Christians would say this, but prayer is something here at Covenant that we certainly want to invest in and take really seriously. When we've spent time looking at sort of what's the core of church, and part of the struggle we have as church today uh, is that there's so much going on that you can kind of lose track with like, what are we really about at our core? Like, what are the things that are unchanging, that are really central to us? And we've taken some time and looked in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, at the first church. And the first church in history, it organized itself around four core practices, four things that before they chartered or before they had you know, letters of incorporation or any of that kind of stuff, they didn't start legally in this. Where they started was these practices are what unite us. They're what we're about. They're what we do. 
that give us a sense of direction and purpose. It's how we interact with God. These four things we've talked about, but as a reminder, it says the first thing that, that we are about, that they were about, is that they were about Scripture. They devoted themselves, it says, to the apostles' teaching. Secondly, it says they devoted themselves to intimate fellowship. It's one of the reasons next week is one opportunity that's important. How can you get involved in knowing who you're walking with? It's not enough just to show up and be a part of a crowd on Sunday mornings. It's not enough for what God wants to do in our life. We've all got to know who are those pockets of community with whom we're doing life. Who are those people that we can turn to through the ups and downs and questions? Who can be on the journey with us? All of us need those pockets. They devoted themselves to that. It says to being a part of one another's life on a daily basis, walking together, doing life together, as as Bonhoeffer says. Third, they were devoted to prayer. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And fourth, they were devoted to what we've called extravagant generosity. They didn't just sort of give whatever they had laying in their, uh, around their home or in their bank account or in their pockets. It says that they gave whatever they had. They gave sacrificially. They sacrificed for other people in order that whatever was needed, people would receive. They gave to others. So those are the four things. Scripture, intimate fellowship, prayer and extravagant generosity. So when James ends by calling us to prayer, this is like one of those key central things we should stop and go, okay, this is really a big deal. This is important. What's he talking about? Now James says in this passage that there's there's different ways of praying. We've talked about that. We did a class last winter on prayer on Wednesday nights uh, that was really well attended. We had a, a gathering on a Wednesday night to close that series in the sanctuary. We had a service of prayer We talked about different ways of praying and experiencing God in prayer. We did a a 36-hour prayer vigil where over 200 of you participated over the last 36 hours to pray. And I thank you for those of you who came and those of you who led it and helped organize it. Thank you. Because what we believe is that prayer and beginning this school year or program year in a posture of prayer is so important. Because we know life's about to ramp up for all of us. We know that life's about to get a lot busier in the next couple of weeks than it was a month ago. No matter who you are, what your age and stage of life is, Austin and life, they just sort of function that way, right? We're going to move into a busier time. And you and I, if we're not going into that with prayer, we could just think that getting organized is all we need, right? Got the school supplies ready, we know our schedule, uh, know how our calendar is going to work with the logistics of this year, and we could be living a very ordinary life, which is that we're busy all the time, doing stuff, accomplishing, driving carpools, going to events, having meetings, serving on committees, things happening all around us, and we can be so busy in our lives that we totally miss God and what God's doing all around us. None of us need, none of us are called to live an ordinary life where you're just really, really busy. I'm, I'm accomplishing a lot, here's my list, and I'm getting it all checked off. That is not the full extent of why you're here. This coming year, God is going to be working in your life. God is going to be doing things. God is going to be challenging you in different ways. And if you don't begin, if we are not beginning and walking through in a rhythm of prayer, we're going to miss it and lose the extraordinary and eternal because we're just being ordinary. It's important that we begin with prayer as a community, and that's a part of our daily life and rhythm. And James here, in his ways, he gives some really practical teachings about how do you pray and what do you do. He says here that your life and your circumstances are going to dictate prayers and that that's okay. He says that for some of us, we're in seasons of life where just things are really good and we're thankful. And he says that you should respond with prayer. He says you should sing songs of praise, and singing can certainly be a, an important form of prayer. 
He says that some of you might be going through really difficult things and that this may be a time when you need to go through a series of confession and that confession is a kind of prayer. That if you look around this room, no matter who you see, no matter how accomplished, important, or wonderful their life looks on Facebook, all of us, all of us have incomplete, broken parts of ourselves. All of us do. That's why we're here. That's why we need a Savior. All of us. He says that you might be going through a difficult time and you may need healing of different kinds. And he says to call the elders of the church, the righteous who can come and pray for you. Come and pray over you and you can experience healing. It's called prayers of supplication. And we're going to do this in just a few minutes where we're going to share prayer requests with each other and have a time to pray out loud and, and together. It's this last form of prayer I actually want us to talk about for a few minutes today. Because it's really important that when you look at this passage, you not misunderstand what James is saying. Because he gives some examples of prayer that could seem pretty intimidating to us, right? The first example he gives is if you're sick, call people to pray for you and you'll be healed. And the second example he gives is of the prophet Elijah, where he says that Elijah comes and prays for, and prayed for a drought, and for three and a half years it didn't rain, and then Elijah prayed again, and then it started raining again, Right? These kinds of prayers, these prayers of supplication can be the sort of stuff that cause like questions and doubts to come into our mind. And so I just want us to engage it. Because probably like many of you, I have prayed for things and prayed for miracles and prayed for healing where you saw God work in unbelievable ways and answer those prayers in the ways that you asked. And then I have also prayed for people and prayed for healing and prayed for things fervently that God didn't answer that the way that I wanted to. And so this, this kind of teaching can start bringing that stuff in and you're going, maybe I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe God doesn't care enough. Maybe it doesn't work this way. You know, if we took a lie detector test on you and said, do you think you can pray like Elijah and stop it raining for three and a half years? How many of us would go, I know I can do that. I know, now if you're in Texas over the last few years, you had a better than average shot of getting that right. But there are not many of us who sit there and go, yeah, that's my prayer life. I pray for rain, it rains. I pray for drought, drought. That's just how it works. If you read James, you can get really mixed up in thinking that's what he's saying. And he can put Elijah on some spiritual pedestal of going, well, Elijah can just like give these amazing prayers and God just responds and I don't, it doesn't work that way for me or I'm not certain it works that way for me. It can make us feel inferior, it can make us feel insecure and it can fill us with doubt. I don't want us to live with that misconception because that's not what James is saying. James is not saying that Elijah had God on some kind of yo-yo, Right? kind of going, do this, now come back. It wasn't like God was sitting there going, I don't know, Elijah, what do you want to do? And Elijah said, hey, let's do a drought. And God goes, great idea, let's do a drought. Tell me when you want it to end, Elijah. I'm just ready to kind of, you tell me to jump and I'll say, you know, I'll just kind of respond to whatever you want. It's easy to read this passage of James and get this sense that like we're putting Elijah on a pedestal here of how he could pray in a way that we can't. I want to, I want to talk for a second about who Elijah was Because James would have assumed you and I would have had some context that would have not allowed us to think Elijah can pray in a way that we can't, or that God listens to someone else's prayers more than he listens to yours, okay? Elijah didn't come along and go, hey, you know, I've just got these tricks. I got this prayer life. I can pull a rabbit out of a hat. I just ask God, and it happens. It's not like God is looking around going, you know, what do you want? And we're like, well, we should pray for healing for this person. And God goes, healing, Great idea. Never occurred to me before. Wonderful that you mentioned it. God's not just, you know, flippant, moving around going, or going, did you really mean that prayer? Because if you really, really, really mean it, then I'll do it. But I'm not certain if you really, really meant it. Elijah came in along at a time 
when there was great, great pain in the kingdom of Israel. The people do what you and I do, what all of us do, which is that they had been a part of God's story. They had been a part of this huge story of going into the promised land and of seeing God work in these incredible ways. And like every one of us does, over time that they had quit paying attention to God and they had started making life more and more and more about themselves, about their success, about their accomplishments, about their money, about the world revolving around them. And over time, they had gone from living this big adventure with God to this really narrow, self-centered existence of everything that I I can do, everything I can accomplish, everything that I want. Their scope went from here to here. And what they did is they started infusing that into their religion. And instead of worshiping Yahweh and worshiping God and having these rhythms of confession and having these rhythms of of laying themselves out in humility before God, they actually started following a God who didn't ask them to do that. And the name of that God was Baal. Baal was a God who didn't ask you to confess, who didn't ask you to be generous, who didn't ask you to give away. It was the God that you could just fashion and and work and make it seem exactly like what you wanted it to be. And so the people started following that because on the surface that's really appealing, just to have life exactly how we want it. And so what they did is they started actually erecting temples to Baal, they started having shrines to Baal, they started having priests that were leading worship services to Baal, and what happened is the kingdom started moving in that direction. And that was cemented in the time of Elijah by two rulers. Two rulers, a king and queen, who officially said, we are no longer following Yahweh, we are followers of Baal, as the nation of Israel, and their names were King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Ahab and Jezebel cemented the wandering that the people had done away from God. And so God does what God does and sent his prophet, sent Elijah, who didn't just show up on the scene, but was someone who had been walking with God and learning about God and praying to God on a daily basis. And God sends Elijah to Ahab and Jezebel in the sight of all the people to say, we're going to show you how big God is. We're going to show you how powerful Yahweh is over Baal. And so we are going to pray and the rains are going to stop. Now what happens is it's not hard on a beautiful day like today to go, I pray there's no rain, and then there's no rain, you're like, see, God answered my prayers. So it wasn't probably a big deal when Elijah first said this. But the proof came day after day, week after week, month after month, when there continued to be no rain. And so Queen Jezebel and King Ahab became really, really angry, and they saw the people starting to question the way they were living, started to threaten their power, And so what they did is, is that they challenged their own priests, the priests of Baal, to make it rain, right? Make it rain. So they were like, you know, go make it rain. And so they had this sort of like cosmic battle between the priests of Baal and their God and Yahweh. And these priests of Baal were praying publicly, they were praying for rain, they were praying for Baal to bring the rain, and of course there was no rain. Until the people finally said, we don't know what you're doing, this isn't powerful, this isn't working, your prayers are are not right, And finally, God sort of said to Elijah, now's the time. The people are open again. Now's the time. And so Elijah discerns that God wants to bring the rain. He goes out and prays for rain, and the rain comes again. Elijah is not some spiritual wonder worker who can just sort of tell God what to do and change God's mind. But Elijah is someone who ought to be like us, ought to be people on a daily basis who are praying, who are asking God, what are you doing? Help me to see the world the way that you see it. Open my eyes to what it is that your will is telling us here. And then you can pray in alignment with God. Okay, then your prayers can start aligning with God versus these kind of ways of living on Facebook and in a busyness of life. And then when you hit a crisis, lobbing all these prayer requests up to God going, answer this, answer this, answer this, this is what I need. 
That's not what James is talking about. I had someone the other day who was like, I got stopped for, uh, by a, a, a traffic cop for uh, a, a, something I'd done. They had done it wrong. I was like, I was just praying they wouldn't give me a ticket. I was praying they wouldn't give me a ticket, and then they didn't give me a ticket. You're like, yeah, that's not what this is, which is in my moment of crisis going, here's what I need, and God's like, okay, I'll slam that one down for you. What's next? That's not what it is. It's about saying that God is living and working in a broken world and in our lives and that God is always healing and always there and always uh, redeeming and always transforming, but we are opening our eyes in prayer to saying, how are you doing that? Versus, I'm going to tell you how to do it. It's easier and more tempting to believe the first one, which is I can just tell God what's going on in prayers and I can really pray this and it'll happen. But what Elijah does is he's praying and living in alignment with God and listening in his prayers to God in order for his prayers to be in alignment. Think about it this way, all right? As followers of Jesus, you see this in the person of Jesus, who his disciples were sitting there and saying to him, Lord, we see when you pray, people are healed and all these things happen. So they ask him, they say, teach us how to pray. And there's two times, two primary times in the New Testament where we don't just see that Jesus prayed, but we hear his words Okay, I want you to think about this for a second in alignment with Elijah. The first time is when the disciples say, teach us how to pray, and he teaches them what we call the Lord's Prayer. Now, how does that begin? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. That's how it begins. Jesus doesn't start his prayers by going, I need this, and my friend needs this, and my neighbor needs this, and this is what's going on in my kid's life, and this is the kind of teachers we need to have. It doesn't start that way. He does offer prayer requests. It's not that God doesn't care. He's saying, give us this day our daily bread. He's admitting our need, but he starts by saying, you are God and I am not. Well, for Jesus he was, but he teaches the people to pray. Major heresy, just committed right here. Um, you get the point of what I'm trying to say. There are certain moments I wish I had a manuscript, and that would just be one of them right there. If there are any questions, Jesus is fully God. I'm not saying that he's not. I just had a little trip there, okay? I'm going to hear about that this week, aren't I? Yes. What he's saying is he's teaching us to pray, saying you are God and I am not. He's sitting there saying, what is your will? What is the kingdom going to come? And that kingdom is going to be bigger than anything I can ask or imagine. So while I'm lifting these prayer requests up to you, I have the humility to say, I'm not telling you how to do it, when to do it, and on my time frame. But I'm sitting there saying, help me to see what thy will is. That's hard to do for things we really care about. But it's how he teaches us to pray. And then he demonstrates it the second time he prays. The second time he prays, and we know the words that he says is in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he's waiting for the lynch mob to come and get him, and he knows what's happening. He knows that he is going to be killed. He knows he's going to be tortured. He's going to be nailed to a tree and abandoned by everyone. He knows how horrible the upcoming day is going to be. And so he prays, and we know his words in the garden. He says, Lord, let this cup pass from my hands. He's saying, understandably, I don't want this. I'm not asking for this. I don't, I'm not looking for this. Let this cup pass from my hands. However, he says, not my will, but thy will be done. If you are someone who has fervently prayed for something in your life and God didn't answer it the way that you wanted it to be done, something you really care about, you are in good company 
because the Savior of the world lobbed up a prayer request to God that was very real and very heartfelt, and it was answered by God. God is always listening to you and faithful, but it didn't take the form Jesus asked. The common thread in the two times we hear Jesus pray is a focus on what do you want? What are you doing? It's this trust that you are active and moving and I am going to trust in that and hope to see that. Listen to this because this is really important. Prayer is not about you changing God's will to look like yours so much as it is bending our will to look like God's. Prayer is not about changing God's mind. Prayer is about opening ourselves. That's what James is talking about with Elijah. It's opening ourselves up to see the world and to trust in God's redemption even when it doesn't look like how we would order it up. And that's a hard thing, but it's a hopeful thing. Because while Jesus didn't get his prayer answered the way he wanted, that's why we're here. God didn't abandon him, and God hasn't abandoned you. And it's that trust. What is thy will? I want to give you a quick illustration of this. Uh, a quick analogy and a quick illustration of how we're supposed to pray. Okay, the analogy is this. Because I don't want this just to be academic. This is really important we get this and start praying this way of praying to receive versus dictating to. The analogy I want you to get is um, a sports analogy. It is a story of two great basketball players in the NBA who played for a team called the Utah Jazz in the 1990s, John Stockton and Carl Malone. John Stockton, if you look in the NBA today, is the all-time assist leader in the NBA. And an assist in basketball is when you pass the ball to somebody, allowing them to score. So of any player that's ever played, John Stockton made more points available for his teammates than any other player in history. Now when John Stockton started, nobody thought he was going to set any kind of goods records because he was not all that tall, he's not all that big, and he was not all that athletic on an NBA scale. Carl Malone was for years and years and years his teammate, and Carl Malone was everything John Stockton wasn't. He was like 6'9, he was stronger than anybody else on the court, he could jump higher than anyone else on the court, and he's one of the highest point scorers in the history of basketball. John Stockton and Carl Malone were known as having this chemistry that John Stockton would pass the ball to where he knew Carl Malone was going to be before Carl Malone ever got there. And towards the end of his career, He was asked in an interview, John Stockton was asked in an interview, they said, how did you guys develop this chemistry that's that's setting records in the history of basketball? And honestly, you're not very athletic. Nobody thought you were going to do that. John Stockton had a really interesting comment. He said that what I've had to do is, he goes, first off, we've had to play together for years. You don't build this kind of chemistry fast. Elijah's not somebody that just started asking for prayer requests and God started granting This is somebody who was praying daily, who embraced the rhythm of prayer to be able to discern God's will. And it takes time. We've got to have that rhythm in our life and in our families on a consistent basis. When they're not fireworks going off, we just do it to get in alignment with God. He says it doesn't happen overnight, but he said what I had to learn is I had to learn not to see the basketball court like a six-foot unathletic person. I naturally see the basketball court my own way, out of my own perspective. He goes, I had to learn to see the basketball court like I was 6'9 and stronger than anybody else and could jump higher than anybody else. I had to learn to see the court the way Carl Malone saw the court. And if I was 6'9 and could jump higher than anyone else and was stronger than anywhere else, where would I want the basketball? And I'd pass it there, knowing that Carl Malone was going there because that's what he saw. 
That's what I mean by prayer. It's trying to see, not out of our own eyes, which even in the things we really care about are limited, but trusting in this bigger vision that God sees. And what we're doing is saying, Lord, help me. Thy will be done. Let me see the world the way that you see it. I'm trusting in your faithfulness, even when my specific prayer request doesn't come about the way that I asked for it. And here's the practice, and we'll end with this. Where the places that this really started becoming real to me was uh, while I was in seminary working with college students. I've told you guys some stories about our college ministry days. They were a lot of fun. And, um, and what happened was we started holding a Monday night ministry for students, okay? And so we got to the point that there were like a couple hundred students every Monday night. They were coming to this place. We were having a time of worship. And they were all gathered together. And so we'd be in this room with like 200 kids. 18 to 23, kind of in that range. And then there were two people that most every week joined us who were not 18 to 23. Their names were Ed and Carolyn Van Winkle. They both passed away. Ed and Carolyn Van Winkle were in their 80s. They were longtime members of North Avenue Presbyterian Church where this ministry took place. And Ed and Carolyn had been very influential in Beth in my life. They had been very influential in praying with us about certain things, and they had a prayer ministry that they led. They were just amazing, amazing people. And so we started inviting them to come. We're like, you should just come and pray with the students. And so they started coming. So there'd be a room full, 18 to 23-year-olds, 198 of them, and then two people in their mid-80s who were sitting, and they'd sit right in the middle of all the students, and the students loved it. They loved them. And we would have these regular times where we would just open it up for Ed and Carolyn to pray with people. So we'd have communion, or we'd have music, and Ed and Carolyn would just go over to the side of the room, and these students would line up in a line, sharing prayer requests in Ed and Carolyn. They would hear the prayer requests. They would lay hands on them and pray. It was an incredible ministry. But here's the phrase that has shaped me around this way of praying through God's eyes, that Ed and Carolyn would say to Beth and I, they would say in their prayer ministry, and they would say it to every single student who they heard their prayer request. They would hear the prayer request, and the first thing they would say is, okay, let's see what God's going to do with this. Okay, let's see what God's going to do with this. And then we would pray. But that phrase opened us to God is going to work. It wasn't a question of maybe God's going to do something. Let's see what God's going to do. But it also reminded us, you better have your eyes open because what's going to happen may not be exactly like what you think. But what we believe in faith is that it will be bigger and more amazing than anything we can ask or even imagine. So that's what we're going to do today. That's what I invite you to do this week is I want us to commit ourselves to a rhythm of prayer, as James is calling us to. But I want us to listen to our prayer requests, to have our own prayer requests, to speak them out to God, to cry them out to God, to sing them out to God. I want us to hold those out before God, but to do it with that phrase in our minds, okay, God, let's see what you're going to do with this. And I promise you, you will not be left with nothing. That's what James is calling us to. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would take and meet us in our places of questions and doubts and joys and in excitement and in sorrow and that we would continue to lift up in prayer everything that's going on in our lives and our hearts, that we would be a community that prays together and individually daily, that we would commit ourselves to this discipline. But as we do so, that we would seek thy will. That we would seek to be shaped and formed by our prayers versus dictating to you. That we'd have the maturity and trust and faith to pray that way. 
May we hold all of of our prayers before you today and this week. And let's see what you're going to do with them. Open our eyes to receive and hear as you respond. And it's in Jesus' name we lift this prayer. Amen.